This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're live. What's up, Ducks fans? After a huge win against the Chicago Blackhawks, Ducks take the game 6-3. to three. Yes, we're a couple hours late. Uh, somebody decided he had to work today. <laughs> I can't help it, guys. I'm sorry. I, I, we got we got in here as as quick as quick as we could. I mean, it's not too late. We were lucky. It's a, it's a matinee game. So I mean, for oh, you yeah. guys, it's earlier than me. So hey, I mean, we can't we can't complain too much. Nah, no, not too much to complain. Especially, I've been in a great mood all day with the Ducks whooping on the Blackhawks. Uh, it was mm. nice to see them actually get all, all the way up to four nothing at one point, and as it was, it was cute to hear all the Let's Go Hawks chants in Honda Center. Um, it was just fun to see that kind of drown away at the end. I, I always yeah. love that. I can't stand Chicago, man. No. I, it's, I mean, that's kind of drowned away all season because they've been awful. So I think uh, Michelle Drinenberg put out a tweet today saying how Chicago's let, like, I think it was they've let in four more goals like 22 times this season. Which uh, and I, I tweeted back. I said, I think I can hear in the distance uh, the faint sound of a bandwagon emptying out. So that's what it seems like in Chicago. I mean, you still get they still travel well. Don't get me wrong, and there's still some hardcore fans, but kind of feels like that dynasty is is ending with this season. Those fans that uh, are hanging around and are true fans, they understand the team, they understand the sport, they understand what it takes to win. Yeah, I was my buddy Craig lives in Chicago, and yeah. he and I were texting today, and I was like, it's unbelievable. There's people calling for Bowman to get out. It's like. You have three Stanley Cups. <laughs> yeah. That's like in bad. a decade. What are you talking about? Like, what are you talking Would you not understand what it takes to win? Yeah, eventually it ends. It's just what happens. Yeah. And you can, you can even ask for anything more than what they've had. Like, I think anybody would be happy with the success that they've had over the last few years. I, I mean, it's just insane. I mean, they were talking about being a dynasty team, being one of the best teams in the history of the National Hockey League. And now people are kind of jumping ship saying, oh, fire Bowman because we're losing well I mean it's gonna happen especially when you sign Taves and Kane to long-term deals which I mean I guess they're worth it but it it makes it difficult for you to really do anything and look at what they've done with limited cap space the guys who have moved out of that team Dustin Bufflin used to be a part of that team Brendan Son's been moved out and moved back in Artemi Panarin's been moved out you know multiple guys have come in and out of that team and they were still competitive until this season it's ridiculous that people are saying let's fire him they won a cup with anti niemi yeah all right like <laughs> that <should laughs> that's tell enough. you right there yeah uh but this is not a chicago podcast i uh i can't stand anything about that team i do like some of the players on that team individually like if i were to you know i would love some of them on the ducks of course yeah but uh, as a whole i would need them to lose every single time because uh, i was <laughs> one of the very many unfortunate few or unfortunate many i should say that were at the Ducks' uh, home game loss in Game 7 a couple of years ago. So that was not good. No. Uh, but moving on, as that's obviously still a, a bitter taste in my mouth. Um, <laughs> let's, 
Let's get to some of our pregame notes where we hop into this game. Um, kind of seeing the nice rotation on defense happen again, Eddie. It was good yeah. to see Pedersen staying in. This time, Bosch sits and Bieksa comes on. Uh, Carlisle and Yanni decide to keep uh, Montour and Fowler together and Manson and Lindholm together, thankfully. Especially yeah. that Montour-Fowler pairing, which we'll get to here uh, in a little bit. But uh, Vermette, JT Brown, and as I just mentioned, Boschman were scratched today. Derek Grant slots in on that fourth line with Shamara and Kelly. The, that line was effectively awful today. Um, I don't know what it was, but that was not a good, but, but a good they're, line. They're the fast. They're, they brought they're, in for speed, right? They're, they're not supposed to be bad. So, I mean, I know your fourth line, like uh, – classically the fourth line was just like your grinders and fighters like the goon line right yeah. they go out and they're check the checking line but nowadays in today's nhl you gotta have you gotta be able to roll four lines you gotta have a skilled and, fourth line because if you have the grit and like the goony type of fourth line and you're going up against another team's skilled fourth line that's an easy matchup for that team any day of the week oh exactly and that's why it's not a bad idea to bring guys up you know from your ahl team and slot them in on a fourth line yeah. I mean, why not put skill across the lineup? So many teams just don't trust their young guys. But anyway, Grant, Tremere, and Kelly, I uh, hope we see less of you. Um, I mean, I don't know how much – I mean, Grant had a good game last game, but then in getting slot with Tremere and Kelly, I guess uh, it's a little different yeah. than playing up with the big boys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he, we talked about how he kind of just gets thrown in any spot where a guy gets hurt. So now he goes on the fourth line because obviously gets off his back and he doesn't get put on the first line. We saw him – throughout most of the season on the second line with Silverberg and Cogliano. So he's just that guy for this team where we kind of just put him wherever he needs to go. I mean, he had a good game today, so I can't complain. And you don't really expect him to be a first-line center, so it's, it's hard to, to, like, to be too harsh on him for what he did last game. No, man. It's, um, it's, just, it's just interesting the way that all works out, though, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. The other good news for the oh, – go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting the role that he's had because I don't think anybody's expected him to be a big piece of this team. He's been, he's definitely been better than anybody could have imagined he would be. I don't think, I thought he would still be around even in the lineup at this point in the season. I mean, he was one of the leading goal scorers early on, right? Yeah, yeah, he was a key <laughs> so part of this team. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, so we talked about last last uh, show too that we we would think he's going to be around. Um, yeah. The other good news too is Gibby gets another start, so that's good. He's healthy. No one hurt him last game, so he goes into this game uh, just as injury prone as ever. But he made it through all three periods in this game too. I'm being sarcastic, of course. Of course, I wanted to be healthy <laughs> and playing. It's just there's so many people out there expecting to be hurt. Uh, as, you know, myself included. Any little bump, you kind of just like, ah, oh, come on, please. Yeah. But uh, he he came up huge in this game. A uh, couple of massive stops, and we definitely got to talk about Gibby at the end of this too, um, and his candidacy for a Vesna, as you and I have talked. It may sound like we're being homers, but I mean, honestly, that guy's been playing lights out. Yeah, and I don't think he's in the primary discussion, but. When you hear, especially you know where I am, it, it's a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs news. So you hear a ton about Freddie Anderson and then people saying that he should be in the discussion for the Vesna. And I think if you consider Freddie, there's a big list of other guys you can consider. And John Gibson is definitely a part of that. The way he's played this season, his numbers really back that up. I think the only thing that you can kind of look at, and unfortunately that seems to be the, not the sole determinant, but a big factor in the Vesna is wins. 
And I think that's where he's kind of lacking. But you can't, you know, that's team-based, a lot of it. So I hope they're moving away from that because I think Gibby definitely is in the discussion. It's going to be hard to bump out Rene or Vasilevsky, but you got to give him a little bit more credit than what he's, been, he's getting right now. No, absolutely. But uh, the Ducks did rely on him a bunch in this game. Let's hop into the first period here. Um, the the Ducks with the first power play of the game in the first period. It was a new look that we we haven't seen before. At least not that I can remember in any any recent memory. Fowler and Montour at the points. Getzloff down low with Henrique and Raquel, and that looked beautiful. It made the power play dangerous, and they would convert on it with Raquel getting his twenty seventh on a really pretty give and go feed uh, with Getzloff there down. Made it basically made a two on one down low. And Raquel was able just to zip it home right uh, right through the uh, wickets of Forsberg. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's nice to see them changing things up on the power play. Obviously, it worked out uh, on this occasion. And, you know, for, for Raquel and Getzlaff to have this chemistry this year, it's been a revelation for the Ducks to have them working so well together and, and now obviously translating into the power play in this game. But how many times in, in the last, even the last few games, have we seen these types of plays from Getzlaff and Raquel? And it usually leads to the puck in the back in that for Raquel. I mean, this is his fifth goal in his last three games, so he's he's hotter than pretty much anybody on the Ducks right now. And you know, I, we had a lot of people who picked Raquel as the the Ducks' first goal scorer in, in the Forever Mighty Three Stars leaderboard. So I think a lot of people were, were happy that he ended up getting the first goal. I mean, I know I was. It's just like get get the puck to him. I mean, he, yeah. He's got the hot stick. You got to give it to him. Uh, but then we we lead right after that goal. The Hawks get a huge break. Puck gets tied up with the ref. Creates a scoring chance for Kane and Saad. Uh, Gibby, like, on his side. Puck goes over him. And then Fowler is able to tuck it back between uh, Gibby's pads. Everyone's crashing the crease. And everyone takes a collective deep breath as we just, I mean, this, these Hawks yeah. all of a sudden would just turn it on at moments in this game. And that was one of the moments that everyone was kind of like, just please stay out of the net. Please stay out of the net. Well, they've got the talent to really do that. I, I mean, they haven't played well consistently this season, but they still have those guys in the lineup where they can, for brief spurts in games, take over. And we saw that, you know, uh, when the Ducks were coasting, when they were up 4 nothing, Chicago just took over the game and, and made it difficult for the Ducks. And we saw it at this point, too. Uh, I'm, how many times do we see Gibby laying on his back and somehow he keeps the puck out of the net? Uh, there's probably a running count of at least 50, 60 times of that happening so far this season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's worrying, too, when you see him go down like that. You never know if he's going to get up slow, especially with, with the injuries he's had this season. No, that's true. So everyone was excited about uh, that great save, and then guess who gets on the board? Right, after, Just <laughs> almost, just not too long after that. Yeah, I've, Corey Perry is finally seems to have kicked it into gear. I don't want to say that because I, I think I've said it about four or five times this season where he looks like he's finally gotten back to the Corey Perry we're used to, and then he goes on a stretch where he just kind of struggles for a bit. But this was by far the most vintage Corey Perry goal I've seen this season. I mean, he just takes it down low, spins in front, I mean, Osterley does do a do a, you know a pretty a good job of doing nothing there and letting him walk right out front and score. But yeah, this was definitely vintage Corey Perry. He was so concerned about Perry passing that puck off to Raquel, yeah. he just let Perry completely get in front <laughs> of Forsberg, do a spinorama, and 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 uh, get that puck tucked under the arm on Forsberg. But that play from Getzloff to Perry, you see that pass a lot from the Ducks. Gets off to Perry in that same spot down down low, yeah. and Perry drives the net like that. It was great to see it uh, go in for Perry there. 
I mean, he really needs to kick up that scoring for the Ducks. And it looks like you said, we don't want to say he found his scoring touch, but uh, Scory Perry has been back for a couple of games. Yeah, and, and we need it. I mean, this is kind of the this is kind of his time of year, really. I mean, how many times have we seen him kick it into gear in the second half of the season and play out like lights out? I mean, it happens a lot for him. It's it's kind of his trademark. You know, I don't think we're going to see the Corey Perry of old where he just lights it up for the rest of the season, but it's nice for him to actually have these types of games and make a huge difference and, and really start gelling on that top line with Getzlaff and Raquel. I mean, it's it's important to the Ducks' success that he continues to have games like these. Oh, no, it absolutely is. Um, and then kind of the rest of this period was, was a bit back and forth. The Ducks got caught standing around a little bit. They had a couple of chances, but uh, they also were forced to kill off a couple of penalties and they kind of let Anthony Duclair, I mean, at times in this game, he was more dangerous than the big names in Chicago. You saw Duclair just floating around all over the place. He's got that speed. And uh, he looked dangerous in the first. But the Ducks would get out of the first period with a 2 nothing lead over the Hawks, outshooting Chicago 11-10 uh, to 10 before we go into the second. Yeah, and, and Duclair has that history coming over from Arizona, does he not? I mean, he's the duck killer for the majority of his career with Max Domi uh, with the Coyotes. So I'm not surprised that he's the guy that was turning things on for the Hawks when really nothing was going right for them in the first period. So he has a history of being a thorn in the duck side. Yeah, there was that season where Domi and Duclair were just basically doing whatever they wanted to Anaheim, yeah. and that's when everyone thought that Arizona was all of a sudden going to be rising up. Uh, the kind of the way that everyone thought Edmonton was rising up until this season, right? They had yeah. a good season. Those they had young guys playing well. Even though they missed the playoffs, they had a bunch of young guys coming up, and then they all kind of fell off. But I mean, it just goes to show you though that Duclair still has that skill and speed and situations, and you got to pay attention to him. And, and of course, now he's on the Hawks with guys like Kane and Taves, yeah. so it kind of spreads out the talent there. But the Ducks would eventually get on the board again early in the second period. But I got to talk about this first. I, this came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> Kessler and Taves have a go off the faceoff. Where did it, I don't know where Taves thought it was a great idea to fight Ryan Kessler. I mean, it wasn't like this was like you know heavyweights going at it and bombs yeah. being thrown. But you don't ever see Captain Sirius drop the gloves. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and to that extent too. I mean, Ryan Kessler does on the odd occasion as well, but. You don't see him. He's not a, a guy who fights all the time, especially, you know, you're up 2 nothing. It's early in the second. Nothing can really happen to warrant a fight. And, and maybe it's Taves trying to kick things into gear for his team. I, I think that's probably the most realistic answer. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of crazy to see these two guys go out. It wasn't a, a really an eventful fight uh, other than the fact that, I mean, we put out a, a gif that, that got some traction in the middle of the game where, Kessler clocks Taves with a pretty good right and, and uh, knocks him back a bit. Uh, other than that, it wasn't eventful, but you never really see Taves get involved in those kind of things, and that kind of tells you what kind of season the Blackhawks are having. No, and then and on top of that, I think the last fight that I remember Ryan Kessler being in was honestly the unfortunate one against Domi, where Domi caught him with an uppercut. So yeah. I was like, maybe that's why Kessler shied away from fighting for a little bit because that doesn't feel great. And uh, but anyway, now he's tough. But uh, it was it was a it was good and it was a good move on his because they both got to take a break for five minutes. And anytime you can get uh, one of the top centers and two way players on Chicago off the ice for any amount of times, a good move. Um, but then it kind of was like that was going to be a spark, but it turns out you know you got to give uh, Gibby the credit on the next play as Deprinket almost puts one in out of midair. Blockers saved there by Gibby. 
But then not too much longer later, a first for Marcus Pedersen was able to put in his first career NHL goal, kind of a lob. It was a weird play. Bieksa gets a point shot, blockered away by Forsberg. But when he blockered it, it goes directly to the other point. And uh, Derek Grant in front, he couldn't really see if it would touch him, but it, I guess on several replays, I think it didn't. It might have clipped a, a Chicago defender, but Pedersen's goal made a 3 nothing Anaheim. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I mean, even Pedersen said it at the end of the game. He thought it hit Grant when it went in, and it kind of looks like it takes some kind of deflection. I, I think it might have hit off a Blackhawks player, but it really was just a floater. And there was a lot of guys in front of Forsberg. So he couldn't see the puck, but hey, I mean, you got to get a break somewhere, and it's great to see him get rewarded for for his play and and for being still being with the Ducks, and, and it kind of shows you know how much confidence they have in this guy that he's still up here and, and playing a, a pretty big role with the Ducks. So it's great to see him get his first goal. Obviously, it's not the prettiest uh, of first goals, but hey, you got to get one somewhere. No, and that's that's probably makes him feel really good, right? I mean, he's, he's been yeah. playing up and he's trying to he's trying to hold his own and improve it. He belongs up in the NHL and doesn't need to go back down to the goals and write out the rest of the season, which I think it's going to happen. Um, he's, yeah. he's played a pretty, he's played a decent game and he and he's had a couple of off nights, but you know he's he's the one holding the fort there, so the old guys can take breaks, and that's kind of what this needs to be done. He gets him some NHL experience and give the old dudes a break, and uh, hopefully it just continues. Yeah, I hope so too. But you 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 know I had looked at uh, Jakob Larson had a strong game the other night in San San Diego. He got the overtime winner. Had a couple points in that one. Last time I checked, he had an assist in the game tonight, and that puts him at four points in the last three games. So he's turning things on, uh, and I'd, I'd love to see him get a chance, but I also don't want it to be at the, the risk of sending Marcus Pedersen down, especially the way he's been playing. But, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. You know, Pedersen's in there so the old guys can get a break. Um, I would love to see him up for the rest of the season, but it kind of feels like eventually – they might send him back down to the goals uh, if the Ducks start rolling along. Yeah, you know, that's a possibility. It's just nice to see Carlisle actually trust the young guy yeah. and let him play minutes like that. Um, not much going after that after that goal by Pedersen until, ooh, ah, Silverberg, baby, gets on the board. Uh, the guy we've been talking about has been snake bit. He puts the Ducks up for nothing. Um, it was a great keep by Derek Grant. Gets behind the net to Cogs. Cogs picks it up, throws it to the slot. And then Derek Grant, as much as uh, he didn't play well in a fourth line when he was out here on this shift, ties up uh, Saad's stick, and everyone got caught kind of puck watching in the slot for the Hawks. Silverberg gets time to go top shelf, and uh, Grant's looking good so far in this game though with two assists. Yeah, and it's that's the type of player and the type of play we've kind of expected from Derek Grant. He kind of gets thrown out in different situations, does this thing every now and then, and contributes to the offense, but. What a break for Jakob Silverberg to finally get on the board. Like you said, the first goal in 15 games for him. Uh, and you know, we actually got a question in the chat right when he were mentioning it, almost if it was fate. Uh, Rodney said, did Silverberg finally break his bad luck curse? And, and I feel like he did. I mean, this was the start, hopefully, of him to get things going in the right direction. I, I mean, it, it couldn't have felt good. For him to not have a goal in 15 games and for finally to get that monkey off his back, that's got to be huge. Yeah, no, we'll definitely get towards it at the end of after we wrap up the third period here in a, yeah. in a minute or two because we got to talk about that Kessler line. I mean, they looked good, and uh, we'll, we'll take a little bit of dive into those stats from today here in a minute. Uh, but you know who else was buzzing today was Raquel. Yeah, he got that mm-hmm. first one, but he's he looked pretty good throughout the first 40 minutes as he was buzzing around. 
But you know what ended up happening here is the Ducks just get caught not playing hockey. They get up 4 nothing, and we've seen this before, the Ducks um, in the second period where they kind of sit back, and they were letting the Sharks just take it to them. It was a, a dangerous game the Ducks were playing. I mean, up by four is usually a safe place to be, but, I mean, in the NHL, that's too early. The second period is to kind of to kind of hop back and, and hope nothing happens. Uh, the Ducks would get a couple of chances, but it was mostly Hawks, and then Yurko would score. Uh, Yurko, Thomas Yurko would, get, it would uh, just get caught in front of the net, gets a, a slap shot. I forgot it took the initial shot, but he gets a nice deflection on Gibby, no chance, and all of a sudden now it's it's 4-1. Yeah, and we had put out uh, the graph from Natural Statric that, that shows the uh, the shot rates in, that, in, the, in the second period, and you can kind of see the point where the Ducks just start coasting along after they get uh, that 4-0 goal. Uh, and it was pretty bad. We've seen that, like you said, multiple times from them during, during the regular season so far where they get up to either two, three, four goals, and they think they can just kind of coast their way to the finish line. Uh, and it's not something they can continue to do. Obviously, we, we kind of it's kind of a trend for them now. But like you said, Yurko gets the goal, kind of puts the Hawks back into it because they had all the momentum from that goal leading into the second period too. Or sorry, the third period. Yeah, and you know, Yurko would, wasn't done there. I don't know if you saw the play where he dangled between Bieksa and Lindholm backhand. Gibby had to make a huge save. And then uh, Osterley had a shot, a really hard shot off Gibby's mask as he kind of did that falling save, let it go off his helmet. Um, and and they, made a, they made a comment in the broadcast about how uh, Quinville was able to move Taves away from Kane. So splitting up his two most dynamic players. And that's when the damage started being done to the Ducks, where they were able to start eating up guys on the ice and catching the Ducks watching hockey instead of playing hockey, the Hawks looked much faster with those two lines. And they ended up pulling Forsberg in favor of Barube. Um, and then what ended up coming out of that, I don't know if that was a good boost for them, but the Hawks had a 6-1 to one scoring uh, chance advantage and outshot Anaheim 10-2 to two after that. So I think the Ducks, it's fair to say they were lucky they got out of the second period with only letting in one goal. Yeah, I, I think it's like a combination of everything you just said. It, it's a boost from maybe getting a guy a little bit more confident in, in, into the net, also getting, obviously, splitting up Taves and Kane. It's kind of reminiscent of what we've seen the Ducks do in the past where Gatsloff and Perry would start the game together and then you split them up and all of a sudden they look like a completely different team because now you have to match up against you know the, their top two players on separate lines and the Ducks really couldn't handle that. Uh, and then, of course, the goal from Yurko also gives them a little bit of a boost as well. And, and the Ducks just couldn't really... They couldn't really handle the, the pressure that the Hawks were giving them. And like you said, they're lucky to get out with just allowing the one goal at the end of the second because it could have been bad. I mean, the, it, it could have been 4-2, 4-3 going into the third period. And that just changes the entire dynamic of that game. The Ducks would have yeah. to take you know, more chances the closer the game is so you can make sure you keep that pressure on the Hawks. You can't just sit back on them and sleep on them. But getting into the third period... Uh, the Getzloff line get, creates chances early. Raquel just missed off a great play by Getzloff, but the puck would go the other way. Nick Schmaltz would get a goal. Um, this one was it was, it was kind of weird for Gibby. Manson was able to take the inside track, pushing um, pushing Schmaltz wide off the faceoff circle. But Gibby just kind of, I don't know if he misread it or misplayed it. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. He just didn't have his stick in the spot, I guess. He goes right between his legs and in the back of the net. Now it's 4-2 ducks. Manson was getting a lot of heat on that too initially I don't at least know why. on Twitter. Yeah, I I don't know either. I mean it was it wasn't a perfect play from Josh Manson, but it definitely wasn't his fault. I mean, he kind of gives a step behind Schmaltz 
But then he really does everything he can to push Schmaltz to the outside. And then really, Gibby just isn't set for it. Uh, all he has to do is kind of put his stick down, like you said, and push the puck away. He wasn't really 100% prepared for the shot that Smalls was going to put off, and goes five-hole. I mean, if you're going to blame anybody, and, and, and it's tough the way Gibby had, had played you know, leading up to this point and, and all game to blame him, but that's one he really has to have. And I'm sure he's looking back on it, uh, and he realizes that. I mean, he has to have that one. Yeah, I, I don't know why people would blame Manson. It's like... I just Gibby's been carrying this team so much. This team's up four nothing or four nothing and four one, and then you, Gibby had nothing to do with that first goal. And then the second one, it's like, yeah, your great goalie can make a mistake. Like, it's yeah. okay. He made a mistake on the play. Maybe he should have had it. But I mean, you, it's hard to blame Manson in that position. I think he did everything he could. Um, then the Ducks just really took a beating after that. In between their next goal, they just they did, ended up letting the Hawks pour the pressure on, pour the pressure on. They were hardly able to get any chances, and then uh, Kasha with a with a great slap shot that Barube was able to block her away. But then all of a sudden, you know, magic happens for that Kessler line. Silverberg scores again. Kessler throws it in off the half wall, tipped on net uh, by Cogs, and it was kind of like a mess in front. Silverberg gets a stick on it, and all of a sudden, it's five to two Ducks. And this is what this line is is been good at in the past: is just getting pucks in at sending bodies there and, and cleaning up rebounds, just playing dirty messy hockey in front of the net and we hadn't seen that a lot from them this season they were great in this game and like you said we'll get into it a little bit after we we break down the rest of this game but it was great to see them get on the board and especially again Silverberg getting his second goal of the game hopefully this is a huge boost for his confidence but it's it's important that this line continues to do this because we haven't seen this type of play for them in a long time and there hasn't really been a game where they've stood out as the Ducks' best line. I think this is one of the first times since at least Christmas that this line has stood out and, and been the Ducks' best line in a game. It was since Kessler's been back from injury. Pretty much, And he's yeah. still injured. You can't even say he's 100%. Yeah. I mean, he's playing hurt. That's well-documented, well-known. He's, he said it himself. It's, it's just it came together this game for them. And the funny thing about this goal before we move on from it is uh, Coach Q – decided to call a uh, review for goalie interference. But I had to think, and, and I was thinking it, and it was funny, because I, I was thinking, like, there's no way he thought that was goalie interference. He's just trying no. to, like, the way they call interference in the NHL, so you might as well just roll the dice, and you're already losing 5-2 uh, yeah. if this goal counts. So whatever, you get a break, and maybe you can try to recoup your team a little bit and, and win small battles along the game, uh, along the rest of the game, so this thing's not a total loss for him. But... I mean, because I knew right when they overturned his review, he didn't even care. He didn't yell. He didn't ask yeah. for an explanation. He's like, all right, whatever. You guys, next out. It's like he's he like, why not? Was like, why yeah. not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a huge difference between being up five two and four two. And I mean, I guess you quote Bexa when he was in the interview. I mean, it's it's one goal, but you know, if you if you're still up four two, if if you win the challenge, you're within one goal from making a one goal game. It's a lot tighter. But five two is almost impossible to come back from at that point. So, yeah, you might as well throw it out there, hope that they can get some kind of call going their way. Because, you know, Silverberg was in the crease. He was close enough that you might as well make the call and leave it up to the refs, leave it up to the situation room and hope you get the call. But, yeah, I don't think he thought that it was going to go his way. He's just kind of throwing up a prayer. Yeah, and he has to at that point. Like, yeah. But, I mean, it, it was just funny the way that all turned out. I mean, but the way NHL has been calling it, I mean, we've seen it go – like what and then like wait okay that's definitely a goal and then they pull it back but anyway 
that's another that's another story that I'm sure I'll rant on eventually on this podcast when the Ducks have an issue coming up with uh, a review that overturns a goal from them and I'll go ballistic then. But this went their way. There's no need for me to freak out. Um, Silverberg with two goals on the night after all. I think he only had one in his last ten or twelve games. Yeah. Um, so that was good for him as we've been talking about that line. The Ducks still decide to stand around a bit. Chicago's still getting chances at this point. Gibby had to make another save on Osterley when he was deep in his net, which is always dangerous. But then this thing just happens again for the Ducks. They get another goal, and this one was was freaking beautiful, man. It was just yeah, tic-tac-toe <laughs> passing. Gets off to Fowler. Fowler in the slot. Instead of shooting from a prime scoring, uh, a prime scoring angle, he's able to feed the puck over to Perry. And then Barube makes an insane save on Perry's initial shot, but Perry was able to roof his own rebound, and it would make it six to two. And at that point, it was all but over. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe Barube even got back to make that save because that play—I don't think anybody saw that coming, really. And and it's typical Getzlaff and Perry the plays that they make. But I mean, Fowler made a great pass to the back post to get it to, to Perry in, in the first place. Uh, and I mean, that's a goal if Perry elevates that. Uh, off the first shot, but you can't discredit the save that Barube makes. But you know, good on Perry getting to those areas, being able to get the rebound and, and put it home. And, and he really looked like, just like Silverberg, that the confidence was there in this game. Uh, and there's no guarantee that continues over, but how how big would it be if this was the, the game that kind of gives Perry and Silverberg the confidence to just have a, a great end to the season? Because that's what the Ducks need. These are the two guys, I think, that have been most underwhelming for the Ducks offensively so far this season. And to have them both firing on all cylinders uh, into the playoffs would be huge. Absolutely. You know, we talked about the matchups coming up, and they could definitely use this on uh, on Tuesday against Washington. And more importantly, on, on Thursday against Nashville, that's going to be the toughest go this week. So let's hope that continues to happen. But to to wrap up the third period, Schmaltz would get his second of the game. Uh, Manson, I originally wrote in our notes that Manson fell behind the net. But upon further review, he was tripped behind the net. And yeah. then the puck went over to Lindholm. Lindholm mishandles the puck. And then it was another. It was a tic-tac-toe play for the Hawks. An easy goal for Schmaltz on the far side of the net, all alone. And uh, that would put the end to it. The only other exciting thing that happened after that was was uh, Perry missed an empty net, but he shot that from like 150, 160 feet yeah. away. Ducks would get the win, a big win for the Ducks as it puts him back into third place in the Pacific Division. In the playoffs right now, yes, we have a long way to go. Yes, everyone's still close, but they needed those two points. And it was, it was great to see the team come together and take advantage of the Hawks, who are on the second half of a back-to-back and really struggling this season. These are the games you have to win. So when you play the really, really tough ones, if they're close and you lose, it's not as painful because you're winning the ones you're supposed to. Yeah, and it's big points in the standings right now. I mean, all all wins right now, all points the Ducks pick up are huge. But L.A. lost last night against Chicago. So now the Ducks with that win have the same amount of games played as L.A. Are, and are one point up on them. And, and if San Jose continues uh, to play the way they are tonight against Columbus, they're going to lose. The Ducks are only going to be one point behind San Jose with no games in hand for either team. So that's huge. I mean, they've made up a lot of ground, I think, on San Jose over the last, uh, pretty much since Christmas and, and, and caught caught back up into the race. And, and now they're solidifying themselves really in that third or second spot. Uh, but this week's going to be tough. We, we talked about it on the last show, the teams that they have to face coming up. But, you know, you got to pick up the points where you can. You, you picked it up in, in a tough game against Columbus, who's fighting for a playoff spot. And now you, you play a team like Chicago, who's pretty much out of it. But they always can play hard, and, and to grab two points in this one is huge as well. 
Yeah, man, and, and you can't count it out. You can't out teams that are out of it because there's yeah. all, they're all professionals, right? And they're not they're not tanking for Dolan, right? They're not everyone calls it falling for Dolan. They're, you got guys in there with pride. You got winners on on the Chicago team. So yeah, they're 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 uh, not having a great year, and they're missing their starting goaltender, which really hurts them because I think Crawford carried them for the beginning of the season. But now you're looking at this team, and why not play spoiler? This these two teams hate each other. I mean, yeah. they have a rivalry. So and they didn't want to lose tonight. They didn't want to roll over and die against the Ducks. So you got to play them tough. Ducks get the win 6-3. Now let's get into our post game. We got plenty to talk about. Getzloff three assists. Raquel is 27th. Pedersen with his first career NHL goal. Just an all-around great game offensively for the guys you expect it from. But as you kind of alluded to uh, in the middle of the second period, we started talking about the Kess line. That line's finally come to life in this game and played their best all-around game, like you said. They put up just the best points that they've put. I mean, seriously, since Christmas, like you said. Yeah. They could, we couldn't ask for a better game from them. Yeah, since they've been together, like you said, since Kessler's come back from injury and they've really been a line again consistently, this has been their best game. Without going back and digging into each game, I think just remembering off the top of my head, this has to be their best game since they've been put back together. And again, we've talked about it for different things in this show so far with Silverberg and Perry and now this line. Hopefully this is the game that things are starting to trend in the right direction for Ducks players and, and the, some of the lines that have been struggling. You know, we talked about Perry getting his two goals, Silverberg getting his two goals as well, so they're kind of ending some slumps there, and hopefully they can push things on to the end of the season. But how big would it be for this line to get back to the play we're used to seeing for them? And, and of course, they're not a dominant offensive line for the Ducks. It's almost the third option now with, with Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel being together and with how successful Henry, Cash, and Richie had been as of late. This is kind of the third option. But if they can get things going... I mean, this is going to be a scary team. Everybody's talked about how if they just need to get into the playoffs, then they're going to be a tough team to face. And if you can roll three lines like that, you know, it's going to be hard for any team to match up against you. Absolutely. you got Cogliano with two assists, Kessler with any assist, Silverberg with two goals. Um, they, were, they were the best line. And I know, we, I know we're not a stats-heavy show, but we want to cater to everybody on this. But you and I watch those analytics and – the possession numbers were finally there for this team. Every night you see them, they play decent games where they get chewed up. Uh, but this game, they were they were the best the best line. I mean, all three of those guys combined played great. Yeah, I mean, they controlled the play five on five for the majority of the game, especially with uh, Silverberg Cogliano. They were leading the way for the Ducks. Silverberg was sixty three point one six Corsi four percentage. Cogliano right behind him at fifty eight point eight two, uh, and they were one of four Ducks, Kessler included who were above 50% because pretty much from the second uh, or from the first Hawks goal the Ducks just really mailed it in for the rest of the game. They did score some goals after that, but it wasn't a great performance uh, after that that 4-1 goal, but yeah, these guys were consistently good the entire night, something we haven't seen from them at all this season. Um, and I'm just I'm just ecstatic really to see these guys doing well because we know Kessler's injured. There's no question about it. Uh, and that was a, a real contributor to the fact that this line hasn't been that great. But, you know, th- there's no way he's going to be 100% healthy for the rest of the season. But if they can just have games like this every now and then and just play consistently well, there, there's no telling how, how good this team can be. No, and they need it. I mean, eventually, yeah. uh, you know, streaks end. Raquel's mm-hmm. not going to be putting up the numbers he's been putting up. He's got six points in his last three games. He's not going to continue that toward pace. And when that gets off line is, is able to be shut down, uh, which is is going to happen less often than uh, than not. 
right? I mean, they're going to be dominant more on, on more nights, but there's going to be games where they're not putting the puck in the net. You need this third line, the shutdown line, to put up yeah. points. Well, look at the Henry, Cash, and, and Richie line, too. It, it hasn't been as good as, as it's been lately in the last two or three games. You know, they were lights out, and they were the Ducks' best line for about a 10-game span. And now we haven't seen much for them, but you haven't noticed it because the Kessler line has stepped up in this game, and Raquel Perry and Getzlaff have stepped up in the other games. So you just have these guys. You one, you only need one of these these lines to be on each night for the Ducks to have a, have a pretty strong game. That stretch of games probably saved Nick Ritchie's bacon from being traded. Yeah, yeah don't you sure. think? I mean, regardless if he wasn't going to be dealt at the deadline, we I heard I've, I've heard zero rumors of him being on the block. But he could be traded in the summer. Like all that could still happen. He's an RFA. But I really felt like him gelling finally with uh, with players on this team and and being consistent like that. It probably really saved his season um, from being up in that position. You agree, or do you think I'm stretching there? No, I I agree because you had brought up to me before the trade deadline. Everybody was ripping on Richie, saying to trade him and whatnot. And I was I was among some of the people who were saying that, but then. You know, you looked at the numbers he was putting up over his last 10 games at that point. He was second on the Ducks in points. He had like 10 points in his last 14 games. Arguably, you know, a lot of them were secondary assists, but still he's getting in positions to create offense. And I think he saved himself. I think he probably took him out of out of the discussion to be part of any significant deal. And I think he really, you know, earned himself uh, a little bit of leverage come his contract discussion. Obviously, he's not going to command a lot, but you know, he he kind of put his his name in the mind of Bob Murray and and, and you know, putting keeping him a part of the Ducks for the future. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about our Vesna candidate um, from Southern California because no one else is talking about him, yeah. so we might as well do it. Uh, John Gibson, uh, injury-prone, sure, and uh, uh, prior to the season, people call, call him lazy and relying too much on his athleticism rather than being positional and uh, squaring up to shots. But uh, he did that off-season training in Vancouver. He really tried to straighten his game out. Uh, he started looking really good, and obviously we know all the injury issues that have happened. Is it just because the market that he's not being talked about? Because let me talk to you about some of the statistics that have been uh, – uh, that I've been looking at, and obviously you have, because you and I are big proponents for him being in the conversation. He's fifth in the NHL in high danger save percentage. Now, for those who don't know, that's basically the center dots in front of him in the circles and down to the crease where he's saving pucks. He's fourth in the NHL in save percentage in general. He's faced the ninth most shots in the NHL, and he has the seventh best save percentage five on five at nine two seven, which means you know guys are playing five on five. He's stopping 92, 92% of the shots, almost 93% of the shots. Those are outstanding numbers on a team that was missing the majority of its best players for a lot of the season. Why is he not in this conversation? I mean, just is it yeah. because it's Anaheim or is it because he's not? I, I don't have another. I don't have another reason. I think it's a mix of a couple of things, and I think it. You know, you don't want to always say it, but I feel like it is because he's in Anaheim to some extent. He's been outstanding for pretty much the entire season other than, of course, when he's been injured. He's had a couple off games here and there, but his numbers are still putting him top 10, even top 5 in most of the categories uh, for goalies. And it's hard to not include him in the discussion. I think there's obviously two front runners in Vasilevsky and Rene. But, you know, Tampa Bay's not a, a big market essentially either. 
and Vasilevsky is getting a lot of recognition, deservedly so, for what he's doing in Tampa Bay. I think the other factor is, is wins, and unfortunately wins always are a big part of the Vesna. I don't think they should be as big as they are in the decision, but they always seem to be. I mean, you look at Rene, he's got 34 wins, a 34-9-4 record, which is outstanding. Vasilevsky, 38 wins, 38-12-3 record. And even, you know, comparing him again to uh, to Frederick Anderson, who has 32 wins, a 32-17-5 record. I mean, those look better than what Gibby has. And if, if you guys don't know, again, I don't want to keep spewing out stats, but Gibby's 23-15-6 doesn't look as, as sexy as what Anderson, Vasilevsky, and Rene have. But again, you look at all the other numbers, he's right there. He should be right there in discussion. And you hear all the time up here that, that Freddie is a Vesna candidate this year based on the way he's played for Toronto. I think if you can freely say that, that Freddie is a, a Vesna candidate, you have to include Gibbs in the discussion. You just can't you can't exclude him. I mean, the way he's played, you have to put him there if you're putting Freddie in the discussion. Yeah, and we're not trying to crown him. I mean, Pekarine no. has been dominant as, as can be, and Vasilevsky, that team is unstoppable right now. Yeah. in Tampa. So those are the two front runners. I mean, obviously, it's going to probably go to one of them, and deservedly so. I don't even think Gibby needs to be like, you know, is he contending for the for the Vesna? But why not talk about a guy that's carried this team? I mean, Bob Murray's basically said that his goaltending is the reason why this this team's in this position. He has a lot of underachieving guys. That's why he didn't make the move at the deadline. They relied on their goalies. I mean, who else has carried this team? And we've had flashes of brilliance from the stars that have you know outside the crease, but in the crease, I mean, you got to say this is this was Gibby's year. If he's not hurt, you would hope to think that he's being talked about amongst those guys if he's not healthy and, and he's not playing the way he did at the beginning of the season where the ducks were just riddled with injuries they aren't in the position they are right now uh, i mean there was so many guys out at the beginning of the season and and really the only consistent options you had were being able to roll out john gibson and ryan miller and really just have them play well and, and be able to scrape out and win your games. I mean, even look at the game recently against Dallas where the Ducks were able to come out with a 2 nothing win because Miller had a 41-save shutout and was outstanding in that game where the Ducks maybe arguably didn't deserve to win that game. Uh, and then Gibby's had his, his fair share of 40-plus save uh, performances, including tonight against Chicago as well. Obviously got a lot more uh, offensive support in this one, but... Yeah, the, the the Ducks goaltending is, is a key reason they're even in a playoff spot right now. We talk, we've talked about Gibson over the last couple of minutes and how well he's been, but you can't exclude Ryan Miller and and how consistently good he's been when when he's been called upon. And he's been called upon in some difficult situations. He's come in middle of the game when Gibson's got, got injured about three or four times this season, where he's come in cold in the third period, even going into overtime, and been lights out and stole games for the Ducks. So. You got to give him some credit as well, too. No, it's true, and he and you got to give him that credit. I mean, yeah, he's thirty-seven, and and you know he's had a couple of bad outings here and there, but he's he's not expected to start. He he's yeah. to be there when to give, give to give Gibby a night off, and he's performed quite well this season given his role. Um, you know who else has really stepped up his game, kind of transitioning out from the crease is Brandon Montour. Um, it's kind of interesting when you move him away from anchors uh, to guys that could skate. We talked about it a little bit last uh, last game when he was able to play on the power play because Getzloff is out with the flu. We see that Fowler and Montour are paired together again. This might be the ticket to Brandon Montour getting the contract that he wants this offseason because 
this pair has been together for uh, like 10 or 15 games, right? Or maybe a little more. Uh, and yeah. they've really solidified themselves as a really good pairing on this team. They, they've they been together before Pedersen got called up. Every now and then we saw a little taste of it. And it wasn't... It wasn't necessarily great. It wasn't bad, but it, you know, we didn't. It wasn't uh, something to wow about when they were put together. But ever since Pedersen's been called up, the last seven games leading up to the to tonight against Chicago, they've been unbelievable. Montu and Fowler have. They've been the Ducks' best pairing f- by far. Uh, we we put out a, a tweet earlier today, just kind of digging through some of the stats um, at five on five on how good Montour and Fowler have been together. I mean, they're leading the way for the Ducks 5-on-5 five five with Corsi 4 percentage at, at just under 58% over a seven-game stretch is, is pretty good. Scoring chances for high-danger Corsi 4 as well are, are just under 60%. So they've been unbelievable, and, it, and it's promising. I mean, we talked about the Ducks needing a second pairing that can rival the success that Lindholm and Manson consistently put out on a night-to-night basis, and, and for have. To have these guys playing well and starting to gel together is huge, and, and even having Pedersen in the lineup and and just being a reliable guy, uh, other than having Bx and Boschman together, has been great. And, and you know Montour just seems like he's getting a lot more responsibility from the coaching staff. I, I mean, you look at about the middle point of the season, he was averaging around 16, 17 minutes per game. And since then, over the last 20 games, his his minutes have just shot up. He's almost averaging about the same that Lindholm is, which is around 21, 22 minutes a night. And it just shows how much confidence the coaching staff has in him and, and the way he's been playing lately. No, it's true. And and this might be a turning point for Fowler as well this season. He's he's always been regarded as probably one of the best skaters on the Ducks, if not the best. And I think I've talked about him being that way before too. But now he gets a guy and Brandon Montour that is right there, almost on par with him in skating ability. Um, it, it's amazing what you do when you put them with, with each other because it gets them away from BX and Boschman, both of them. I mean, Fowler was with BX for just, I mean, how many games last year? It was like his main his main partner. Yeah, and, and for most of this season, too, he was he was anchored with BX and, and Boschman was anchored, uh, sorry, Montour was anchored with Boschman for the majority of the season. And they had not the greatest of numbers at all when they were paired with those guys. No. So it's great to see that Fowler finally gets somebody that, that can play at his level and play with him. Um, I mean, obviously, Montour is a, <laughs> over a decade younger than Bieksa and Boschman, so that really helps in the legs department when you're talking about skating abilities. But I think it's it's great for Fowler, too, because he's been getting dogged on. Um, he was, I mean, at the point before he signed his contract, you know, they were talking about trading him. And I remember yeah. he was, uh, was, was last year being up for, uh, they were talking about trading him. Uh, I want to say for your boy Tatar, he was in, yeah. they were in talks with him, uh, or with Detroit to get him or our Nyquist. It was one of the two. I know the ducks were looking at and the rumor was Fowler was going to Detroit. And at that point I was on the bandwagon. I'm like, dude, Fowler's not playing well. I mean, if we can get something for him, it might be the time to do that. So glad they didn't and didn't lend, listen to the fan base because, um, you know, what fan is just fanatic and we're crazy and we want the Ducks to win. But uh, Fowler's really coming to his own this year, too. It's it's great to see these two guys and the Ducks have have a really solid uh, top four and they need it. Yeah, those are my all those are always my favorite uh, trade rumors where you, you look at where the guy grew up and where he's from and then they just link him to that team. You know, Fowler growing up in Michigan, all of a sudden. He's linked to going to Detroit because he's from Michigan. 
I, I love those rumors because they're just ridiculous. Like, because a guy's from a place, all of a sudden it's more than likely that he's going to be traded there. And he, you know, I get it. You know, he's probably more willing to go to a place he's used to. But yeah, I, I mean, the Ducks are lucky they didn't trade him, to be honest. I think keeping him over Vatanen was a, a huge win for the Ducks. Obviously, now that they, they have Adam Henrik as well and how well he's been. But it, it like you said, it's nice for Fowler to get a guy beside him that can compliment him because we haven't really seen it. We talked about getting Jarmelson at the deadline because we thought he was a guy that could complement what Fowler can bring. And now to, to put Montour beside him, I think it, it's really helped them do well in the last seven games. Uh, and it's, you know, we had talked about the fact we want Montour to kind of start playing to what we've expected of him this season. And he's showing us that. And he's obviously showing the coaching staff that as well because his minutes have gone up. Now let's transition to talking about you know a team that has great defensemen that uh, the, the dynasty is finally dying. Yeah. Um, look at Chicago. Everyone's talked about their defensive core when they were winning cups and how much they relied upon with with Keith and Seabrook and Jarmelson, as you just mentioned. Um, they've always been known to have those guys, and they they were the pillars on that team. And now this this is, might be the end of a dynasty in Chicago, which. I'll welcome with open arms. I'll throw a parade. I don't want to hear that da, 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 ever yeah. again. And I don't ever want to hear that song in my life. Um, is this the end for Chicago? I mean, they're mathematically almost out of the playoffs. It's not quite there yet. But is the dynasty done? Is it time to rebuild? Uh, it's. I, I don't think it's time to rebuild. Uh, I feel like this team always finds a way to be competitive. I, I mean, we thought it was done, and then all of a sudden they're able to bring Artemi Panarin over, put him with Patrick Kane. Uh, and they just light it up together. They're one of the best duos in the National Hockey League. And, of course, Panarin's not there anymore, and I think they've probably lost that trade. You know, no, not trying to be harsh on Brandon Saad because I think he's a great player, but he hasn't lived up to what they thought he would be, and that was a hockey trade. Panarin straight up for Saad, and Panarin's been good with Columbus this year. He was great with Chicago, and obviously there was a lot of issues in, in being able to re-sign him uh, with Kane and Taves in the lineup. But I, I just feel like when you have guys like Taves and Kane in the lineup, you, you can't really say it's over, and especially with the way the Blackhawks have been able to turn over players, draft players. I mean, you look at who that guy they dealt, who's become an impact player for them, Ryan Hartman. You know, Nick Schmaltz hit 20 goals this season with his two goals tonight. You know, they're able to find these guys in late in the round, in, late in the first round, early second round, third round. They're able to find these guys who are impact players for them. So they could get a high pick this year. Get a guy who who either can you know surprise them and, and come and play next year or play in a couple of years, and they could have a quick turnaround and at least have another run with Kane and Taves, similar to what the Ducks are doing right now with Getzoff and Perry near the end of their careers. Did you talk about that Brendan Saad trade for uh, or to, to bring him back for Panarin? You remember yeah. when that happened? And he had like four goals. It was like a ten four win over Pittsburgh or something like that earlier <laughs> in the season, and they were like. Man, Saad's back. He's on fire. Taves got his winger back. He needs it. He needs it. Kane doesn't need Panera to be successful. And here we are today. Brendan Saad went on like however many games. He had like a, a snake bitten streak, like Silverberg, without yeah. scoring. And it's like maybe that wasn't the best trade. Um, <laughs> I want. I want to <laughs> look got the at the numbers for that because what like because when when Saad came into the game, uh, not this game, but the last time the Ducks played. Chicago. It, it was like a really bad slump for him, and of course he broke it against the Ducks. But look, I just pulled up his numbers here. This season, it's obviously an off season for him. He's got 28 points in 65 games. 
Uh, it was he had fifty three in each of the last two seasons before that, fifty two in the one before that. So he was like consistently a fifty point guy, pretty much not more than that. Uh, Panarin's it, at fifty three right now. Yeah, Panarin's at fifty three now, and what he had was it like seventy points? Obviously, he was playing with. Patrick yeah, he had when he two was there. seasons. He had a 77 and a 74, and now he's at 53. But, I mean, he's playing on Chicago. Yeah. That's, the only that way was, that was trade... With him on it. Yeah, the only way that trade gets made is because there is no way Chicago is going to re-sign Panarin with the production that he was making. You see, you know Columbus was saying, well, we're not going to give you anything extra for him because you need to get him off your roster. You can have Brandon Sod back. We'll take Panarin in a hockey trade any day of the week. And Jarmo Kekalainen continues to make good deals for this team. Even look at the—I don't want to get too far because we're not a Columbus Blue Jackets podcast. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much more about Chicago. Colts, just one other one other trade that the Blue Jackets made that I think has worked out and amazing for them was Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson, another hockey deal that has been an unbelievable success for them. And that's not saying Ryan Johansson is a bad player, but Seth Jones with with uh, Wierenski on the back end for them is going to be something that we're going to see for a decade in Columbus and. Yeah, I mean they're killing it with the hockey trades over there. Jones is underrated. That I mean yeah. that's for sure. He's a beast. Um, yeah. Back to the Ducks. You're a prospect guy. You know a lot about these guys. I'm trying to get my way around and, and, and to learn more about them. But Maxine Comtois was a Ducks uh, late first round draft pick last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Second or and second he, round, second round picker. Second round. Like and he overall. just and he just signed his East or his uh, his ELC t- or yesterday or today, right? And uh, he's been on yesterday. Fire. Yeah. Yeah, he's been he killing like, it. He's been on fire. I'm gonna have to pull it up because I tweeted it out. Um, tweeted it out early yesterday. Here, uh, let me uh, let me find it. He, he, yeah, so here it is. He um, he's on a 16 game point streak uh, going into. I believe they have a game tomorrow for Victoriaville in the QMJHL. Um, and really since the the World Juniors, where he had a pretty strong World Juniors with Canada, he's just been on fire. But over this 16 game point streak, he has 38 points, 21 goals, and 17 assists. It's just been a turnaround season for him. And this was a guy I remember hearing about him before the Ducks drafted him. He was a guy at, at one point was projected to go as high as around 15 to 20 uh, in the first round. And then he kind of just slowly dropped. He didn't have a great draft season, which is something we see. You see this every year. I mean, a guy has a bad draft season, gets ends up falling in the draft. Then all of a sudden, hey, you remember that this guy was a good player. Uh, and some team gets lucky and, and picks him up late. I mean, Eli Tovlinen was a guy that Nashville picked up at 30 last year who has been unbelievable and is going to come over after the KHL playoffs and light it up for them. And Maxine Comtois is another guy. I, I mean, he has really fulfilled what people thought he would be in a player this season. He's got 76 points right now in 50 games. He's got 41 goals and 35 assists. And the big knock on him going into his draft season, or, or sorry, going into the draft was that he kind of lost that goal-scoring touch. He only had 22 goals in 64 games in his draft year, uh, and people thought that the goal-scoring wasn't really going to be there, and he was just going to be this big, checking, third-line guy. And now, all of a sudden, he's scoring goals again, and he's he's looking more like that first-round projected prospect that he was at the beginning uh, of his draft season. And it's it's great for the Ducks. I mean, they continue to hit on late first-round picks, early second-round picks, and Maxime Comtois looks like he's going to be uh, an extremely good player for the Ducks in the future. It was good to see him come back. What I remember him from uh, more, most recently is getting, uh, I mean, sucker-punched uh, in the QMJ or the, yeah, the QMJHL. Yeah. And that guy got banned for 15 games. It gave I think it gave Comtois, he got a concussion from it. I was like, oh, boy, that's not good because they were – 
they were pretty high on him when they when they picked him up. So good to see he's on fire and that he's got no lasting or lingering issues with that. But that was one of the things that I remember seeing about him over the summer or earlier this season, rather. Yeah, and and it's really just been. I mean, he's probably the biggest riser uh, on the Ducks prospect list. I mean, everybody's high on Sam Steele, and, and you know, deservedly so. The season he had last year was just unbelievable. I mean, he was CHL Player of the Year. He was arguably one of the best players in that league. I mean, he won the MVP of that league, so I guess he was the best player in the season. He has was snubbed from uh, from the World Junior Canadian team that year as well. Uh, and he's quietly had a, a pretty good season as well. But Comtois has to be the guy who's just kind of come out of nowhere, essentially, and really solidified himself as probably a top three prospect along with Sam Steele and Troy Terry. And it gives the Ducks a lot of options moving into the, the immediate future. I mean, we talked about in the last show how the Ducks aren't really looking at a rebuild in the next few years. They're more looking at a retool because they've got all these guys that can they can come up and put in their top top nine and plug in and have a pretty strong team. The only thing they really have to do now uh, is get you know, either hit on a late first-round pick and replace a guy like Getzlaff and Perry, which is extremely difficult to do, or have a couple losing seasons where you can get some high picks and replace them. But they're doing a really good job right now, at least bringing in these young guys who can fill in the top nine. So let's talk about how they're uh, how they're going to fare out the rest of this year. They got that young group coming up, but this is the group that Bob Murray expects a lot out of to try to take a cup run here between yeah. this year and next year. If the playoffs started today, if you're looking at the Western Conference, Vegas plays Dallas, Ducks play Sharks, which would be a good one. Preds get the LA Kings, which I'm happy about because I hate both those teams. So <laughs> knock each other out there, boys. The scope goes seven. And then the Jets would play Minnesota, which I think Winnipeg would obviously run Minnesota. Um, Bruce Boudreaux there. He doesn't win in the playoffs, as Ducks fans know, um, even though I like Bruce and he was here. So I'm, I'm sure if people have heard me say that on the puck, guys, it's like, sorry, but that's, <laughs> that's the truth. Bruce doesn't win in the playoffs for some reason. So the Ducks get that matchup against San Jose if they started today. How do you think they would fare in that situation? Um, I think the obviously the ideal matchup, I think, is against the Kings because I think there's still a lot of issues that uh, that the Kings have that they haven't really solved. Uh, obviously, they were one of the teams that didn't add at the deadline, but you know they had Carter that was ready to come back, so that's almost a deadline acquisition from them. But I, I still think that's the team the Ducks match up the best against. But San Jose is definitely not the worst option. You could finish in the wild card, like you said, and play against Vegas or Nashville, and that's obviously not ideal. Um, I think they match up pretty good. Uh, against San Jose, I think you know they win the goaltending battle because Gibby is a, is their number one and he's their go-to guy. And San Jose is kind of alternated between Martin Jones and Aaron Dell pretty much the entire season. Uh, but it's tough. I mean, San Jose adds Vander Kane, makes their top six that much better. Uh, Brent Brent Burns is kind of alternating between defense and forward right now, which is never a good thing when you don't really know where he's going to play. But you know, it's it's going to be tough. San Jose and Ducks always play close, tight games. It's probably one that goes six or seven. Uh, but I think it's a winnable series for the Ducks, which is something you wouldn't have said two, even two months ago. No, and looking at their season series, I mean, granted, the Ducks had injuries. Three of them have gone to shootout. The Ducks won one of those in a shootout back in November. And then back in January, the Ducks lost six to two, but it was one of those games where the Ducks played really, really well in that game. And San Jose made the best of their chances and scored. Um I think the Ducks would fare pretty well against them, but that Evander Kane is kind of like the X factor coming in because, it is, we discussed before, he's got some off-ice issues, but that guy can be dynamic. 
I would be really interested to see how the Ducks would play um, against the Kings as well. I think that would be my target just because they need a revenge a revenge series too. And I think that would be one hell of a battle. And to be honest with you, that's the best rivalry in hockey. And if, if we're deprived of that this season, it's I'm going to be really sad because it's <laughs> it's just so much fun to watch that hockey. And and uh, the Ducks, oh, man, I if you get the John Gibson you're getting right now in the playoffs, they beat the Kings. That's how I feel about that. It's The Ducks are rolling pretty well right now. I would, I'd be pretty confident they win that series. Yeah, I would be too. I, I mean... The Kings have a lot of issues, I think, on their blue line. And really all they did to address that was bring in Dion Phaneuf, who hasn't been awful for them. But, you know, other than Doughty and Muzzin, it kind of falls off from there. Alec Martinez really isn't uh, a solid option for them anymore. And then you've got Derek Forbort and then obviously Dion Phaneuf, that kind of plug-in holes there. So there's a lot of issues on the back end for them. I think they're kind of a slower team. They're still that kind of big, slow team. They've transitioned a bit from that, but it's hard to get away from that when you know that's been your bread and butter and what's won you Stanley Cups, and you've got those guys there long term. So it's hard to get away from that. I think that's hurt them a bit. And at times, goal scoring has been a real struggle for that team, as as has been for the Ducks as well. But you know, there's still some threats. You got Carter, Kopitar, Toffoli, Pearson when he's on his night. But yeah, I think. If you had to pick a matchup right now between San Jose, either Nashville, Vegas, or uh, L.A., I think you want to face L.A. in the first round. But San Jose is a, is a second option where I still think the Ducks have a good chance of coming out of that series with a win. I agree. So do we got any questions in the chat there for us before we, we wrap? We don't. And I, I unfortunately think it's because we're doing this so much later after the game. Uh, we had the question oh, no, absolutely. that I thought we kind of like, Do we have anything? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we I have know. one or two. We had it's all the your one fault, man. from you and your yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry, guys. Next next show will be live right after the game, which would be uh, Tuesday against Washington. So it's a late game. It's uh, the, a home game for the Ducks. So we'll be live at the same time we were for the game against uh, against Columbus, which will be nice. It'll be nice to go live right after the game. Uh, it's hard to kind of pull people in a couple hours after the game, where you know the the emotions from the game have worn off. People are kind of cooling down for the rest of the night. So we had one question. We kind of answered it uh, from Lord Rodney Strong in the speaker chat. Um, we can bring it up again if you want. But it was uh, he said, did Silverberg finally break his bad luck curse? And can we see a reversion to the Silverberg we're used to seeing? Uh, I would like to think so. I mean, this is the like we said, this is the flash of brilliance from this line. So hopefully it just carries forward. I mean, not much else I can say on that. I, you got to see some consistency here with this line and improve. They don't have to score every game, but they do need to be do need to be better in their matchups. And and tonight uh, is a good indicator that they know what it, how to get back to that spot. The question is just to be there. So yeah, moving forward, I mean, for me to answer that, it's just kind of like I got to see it more before I say yes to that. I mean, Silverberg, bit snake bit, but he can still hit twenty goals. It's not like he's not going to have that chance. He's at fourteen now, and he's got. Oh, 16 games left so there's definitely a, t- a time for this team uh, to rely on the line to get hot we talked about how he was streaky too on the last show and um you know i it, for me to believe that he's 100 percent back i'm going to need some to see some consistent play on him from a night-to-night basis where you know he might not be scoring every night but he's at least contributing to the offense and yeah it's great for him to have a game like this where he scores two goals and, and looks like the player we're used to seeing from him or at least when he's on when he's on his night but 
he's got to do this consistently for me to believe that you know he's going to be the Silverberg that we're used to seeing from from the past when the Kessler Silverberg and Cogliano line is is firing on all cylinders. So yeah, it's like I said, it's nice to have one game, but they're going to need to continue to do this for the rest of the, the season and heading into playoffs for me to really believe that he's back to, to playing the way we're used to seeing. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and cap this off, my friend. You guys know where to find us. You can find us actually on YouTube, SoundCloud. You can catch us on Spreaker. That's probably the best place for you guys to go is look us up on Spreaker Radio. You can download the app in the iTunes store. I haven't seen any approval yet from Google Play. So if any of you are catching us on your Android phones, I apologize if we're not on there yet. I don't have a way to check it. I don't have an Android phone. I guess I could ask a buddy, but I'll do that when I see somebody with an Android phone. I don't. I don't know why I haven't looked into that more, but I just don't see our show up on there. The last I looked, but uh, definitely catch us on iTunes. Um, we're also on Podcruncher, any various apps you can find us there. Um, and go go to our Twitter if you're listening and not following us. Go to Forever Mighty and uh, check us out and follow along. And you got uh, Eddie and myself will be putting up uh, gifs or gifs, however you guys want to say it. Uh, during the game and then as always turning uh to us live here on the broadcast and if you guys we would love it if you guys would go and leave a review like our episode or go subscribe we appreciate all the support have a great night guys